2: Hello, welcome to part two of my lovely chat with Ryan. I adore him; he's very funny, and I'm learning. What more could you ask for? If you haven't heard part one, go back to the feed. You know, keep it sensible. Listen to part one first, and all that. Okay, go. We talked about this a bit last time, and I loved our conversation last time. And I've I've quoted you so many times to people, but we we talked a lot about intimacy, and it feels like it's a massive theme in this book, and how much of that is autobiographical and how much is autobiographical of the relationship? Because Elliot starts seeing a sex worker, then your boyfriend gets involved. Is that, was that real or does it matter if it is? No,
1: that, that part isn't real. I mean, I think the thing that's really tricky about this book and in talking about it is that the themes and the emotions, like Elliot's inner monologue feels very ripped from the headlines of my life. It feels very Dear Diary. The actual Mm -hmm. circumstances in the story is fiction. Like I've never, I never fell in love with a sex worker. It never led to a dissolution of my relationship. I'm in a very happy, amazing relationship for seven years. Like that aspect of it is completely fictional, but like, but I mean, I have gotten like erotic massages before. So like, you Mm -hmm. know, so I've done that aspect of it and I've definitely, I've never like used like a, I guess, a sex worker like no one's like fucked me (laughs) (laughs) to put it plainly for money yeah for money yeah yeah for money Um, still still getting it for free (laughs) but but,
2: power to you
1: yeah yeah totally but I but I what I relate to is that Elliot seeks them out as sort of a safe place to explore his sexuality and his desires because he's still in control because when you're paying for it, you're in control and there's no fear Mm. of rejection because you're not, you're paying this person to not reject you. So it becomes a very, very safe place to engage in sexual behavior without being hurt. But it's also frustrating because like, you know, Elliot secretly wants them to be in love with him or develop feelings, or he's always wanting to like kind of win, you know, be the, be mm-hmm. the, be the best client, be the one that pierces the walls of the sex worker and causes them to blur mm-hmm. their boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always that sort of playing in his mind, which is a losing game. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it's like a safeguard against intimacy because part of intimacy is sort of surrendering to the unknown part of it is surrendering to the fact that you you might be rejected or you might not get what you want and it's not a general indictment on you as a person or your worthiness as an individual but it's like it's important like i would argue that like i mean i'm just personally going through this recently like i was i was very afraid of rejection extremely like and i and you know my boyfriend and i are open but it was sort of like a in in theory not in practice and i i recently had to mm-hmm. make the switch where i was like no i i want to put myself out there i want to pursue men and if, if a guy doesn't want to fuck me it's okay like that's okay it's not that deep because before mm-hmm. i would feel totally eviscerated and i would feel unfuckable unlovable it would trigger all these feelings Rooted in being disabled and gay, blah, 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 blah. So mm-hmm. I think the way that Elliot is using sex work, again, I think it starts at kind of an empowering place and like a generally good idea. But then I think it becomes kind of this unhealthy compulsion that ends up not serving him.
2: I wonder if it's true that whether someone wants to have sex with you or not, is always going... so. If someone doesn't want to have sex with you, it's always going to confirm your worst beliefs about yourself. Yes. So, unless you try and really work on your worst beliefs about yourself, it's always going to feel like shit.
1: Or maybe, yeah,
2: don't know. Maybe yeah. it's the other way around.
1: Well, I mean, for me, it was, like, whenever someone didn't want to fuck me, it was, like, oh, it's because I have CP. And, the, like, it would confirm yeah. this idea of, like, I'm disabled. My disability is a problem. It's it's holding it's, – it's preventing me from having experiences that other able-bodied people are having in life. If I wasn't disabled, I would be getting railed by, you know, 80,000 people. <laughs> um, and, like <laughs> – but I – but that, but that wasn't true. Like, that just isn't true. Like, do you know what I mean? Or maybe it is on some level, I guess. But, like, if someone's going to not fuck me because I have CP, then, like, good luck with their projects. But, like... <laughs> like yeah.
2: And also, maybe it's, like, I, I'm thinking about rejection in my own terms, you know. But it's, like, maybe sometimes that is true. Maybe sometimes it isn't true. But you're never going to know.
1: And well, think about, like, that's... when you don't want to fuck someone. It's, like... Like, yeah. it's not that deep, right? I mean, like, if you're not into something, like, it's just like, honey, like, it's okay. Like, that person, like, love and light, like, truly, like, love and yes. light, and that person will find a dick that's perfect for them, but, like, it's just not your dick, and that's okay.
2: I imagine we're talking fundamentally app based trying to find people to have sex with uh no or are you talking about when you're out no out and out?
1: about out and about i mean i'm an old fa- i'm an old-fashioned kind of girl okay so but i mean i you know obviously i'm no stranger to the apps but i find mm. i find them to be a little unnerving because you never know what you're gonna get you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's been, I've, I've been a little tricked before. I've been tricked. And so, in what way? Well, just like someone not appearing as their photo, like, like someone who clearly, <sighs> someone who clearly is like a lot older or whatever. Like, it's just not the journey that they were projecting. And then mm. feeling a little like, okay, time to take off my glasses and get to work. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not. <laughs> It's not ideal. (laughs) You know what I mean. Um, So it's yeah,
2: it's really not. But also, they are just so transactional, and it's I think it's the worst side of human nature. The apps a lot of the time, not always. Yeah,
1: like well, you know, I went to a bathhouse for the first time last week. And I'd never been. Oh, yeah. And I'd never been, but I felt like I had to. Like, I felt like it was an important part of queer culture that I needed to like participate mm. in and experience. And again, like, feeling comfortable in my body and the way I look, like, I want to, I want to cash in. Like, I want to, like, I want to go to a bathhouse and not feel like I need to cover up. I need, to, I want to go to a bathhouse and not feel like I need to cover my stomach. Like, I wanted to see what that would feel like. So I went. And I did feel very confident in my body, but I realized ultimately it like wasn't for me. Like it, it felt mm. like I need something a little bit more than just like someone jerking me off. I, I don't know. Like I need, I need something. I need a little something. And, and but, yeah. but it was fascinating to watch though. And it was, it was actually really, I think powerful because it was so primal and animalistic and seeing the way Seeing the way it played out was almost like watching a national geographic like animal mm. <laughs> like thing
2: <laughs> interesting like yeah.
1: it was so interesting to see like who was being circled, who wasn't, like how the sex stuff would go down. I mean it was from a voyeur aspect of it, it was really cool, but ultimately it wasn't for me, and I think I think it's really good to kind of do that where it's like I'm participating in things and kind of being like, okay, like um, you know is is this for me do i want to participate to, with this part of gay culture or whatever and then sometimes it's just not meant for me it's just not my journey and mm. but it's it's cool to part it's cool to i'm glad i went you know what i mean
2: yeah it's really good that you went and to what time of day did you go
1: oh 3 p.m. i wanted an afternoon moment cuz i've heard that's like i didn't want to go when it was like sunday i went on like a thursday afternoon it feels a little sober it feels a little present i will say so I didn't end up doing anything because it just wasn't my journey. And I was get, and I was getting dressed. Um, a man in the locker room was like, "Oh, I love your show special." And I was like, oh, "Okay, thank you." And then literally two other gay men in the locker room were like, "Oh my god, I love your show!" Like, and I was I realized, and I've never felt this way before because I feel I feel very anonymous and it's not a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, "Oh, I might be too famous to get blown in public." <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> because I feel like what makes that thing so attractive is the an, uh, anonymity. It really is. Yeah. It's about getting like it's about just kind of being primal. It's about these sort of base instincts that we have and and, and satisfying those instincts. And I don't have that luxury if like a few of the guy men there already know who I am. But, that takes that the fun out. Like yeah. it's not as fun.
2: Yeah, I was wondering that. Like if you're famous. It's just different we it it's would weird different. Me out.
1: i mean if i was a, if I was an exhibitionist, which I don't think I yeah, totally yeah. am, like I think maybe I would like get off on people seeing me do that, but I don't think mm. I don't think I am, or I thought I was, and then apparently I have limitations to my exhibitionism, <laughs> <laughs> but also
2: it's like the I wonder if it's the reason you didn't feel like it was for you and it was your journey is I feel like in the short time we have spent together is you are someone looking to connect someone looking for like a proper connection. And, but like you say, it's primal. It's not about that. It's about something detached. And that is linked back again to intimacy, isn't it? And how it's like, I, I don't know. Like, you can sort of walk between two versions of that, which is like gay men have such a problem with intimacy. What's wrong with them? Or LGBT people in general, because they dissociate when they are in sexual experiences because they are f- so full of shame. Right. Or they've seen the light and actually sex can just be a wonderful moment of exactly. physical
1: pleasure. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's different. For, I think it's different for everyone. I think it's these things are very BYOB, bring your own baggage. You will, you will find <laughs> people you will find people that are going to those things to avoid any kind of real intimacy. And then you will find people that are just very empowered sexually and like want to experience the slice of queer culture because it is, it is sort of beautiful. Like watching it, it was, I did not get darked out by it at all. I thought it was really Mm. interesting and cool. Like I, I, I really did like walk away from it feeling very positive about the whole experience
2: yeah, one of our listeners was talking about it because we did a live show and it came up. And then one of our listeners was talking about having been and saying that it's a really lovely atmosphere in it. So we call them saunas here. Like, yeah, and yeah.
1: Have you been? Have you been to one?
2: No, I've never been. You've
1: never been, Chris? Yeah, no. Come on, really?
2: Yeah, but that's because I am not famous. But I absolutely, <laughs> I said this in the show, in the live show. I just know I would know five people there, and that would so weird me out. No, I I know. I know. I can't. I can't do it. Like I can't. And that makes me a prude. It makes me all these things, but it's not. No,
1: but it's what we talked about. It takes away the anonymity. It does, and Mm. it's it's like it just makes it. You have to worry about this thing. You know what I mean? Like I had a friend that loved going, and he was always like, "We should go together," and I was like, "Why? Like what?" Like, like, that sounds like no. absolute hell. <laughs> yes,
2: absolute hell. I just couldn't, like, imagine catching their eye across the room while they're getting blown. You'd be like, do you, do you want a coffee? I'm going
1: to get coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's not.
2: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. And my friend who we kind of grew up gay together like we used to talk about doing that stuff but we never did it and i know for me like i was not transactional i was looking for romance which actually i'm older now like it's different you know like yeah. i understand that it can be you can be very empowered around sex and if it's consensual in a moment that could be a beautiful thing but that moment's well, past. i and, no, but
1: know but it doesn't well what i feel bad about is I feel like people's most slutty years, unfortunately coincide with probably their most self-loathing and unsure of themselves. And, and it's like, and it's like, I feel like having this experience at like 35 versus 25, I feel like I, I just like, I, it's like a life hack. Like I feel like I figured it out. (laughs) Like I'm like, literally like, I'm having these experiences as a 35 year old man who like, Truly likes who I am is not hiding any mm-hmm. part of myself. Is it comfortable in my body? And that's amazing. I mean, having sex as someone who likes themselves is a much different experience. You know what I mean? And having so, like someone with boundaries, yeah. someone who knows what they want. Um, like I feel very mm-hmm. fortunate. Talk about you know being gay versus straight, like where it's like we can have these dialogues and we can kind of create our own relationship. You know, my boyfriend knew my boyfriend knew that this was a part of myself that I've been really struggling with. So much so that I wrote a whole book about it. You know, I feel very fortunate that I feel safe enough to explore this in the confines of my relationship, and it's not, you know what I mean?
2: I don't want to oversimplify, but it can be incredibly heteronormative. And and we sometimes take our cues from that to do these things in secret. And actually, it's yes. like we can we you don't need to who who said whoever said that these things have to be secret. We can talk about it. And, you know, Alan Cumming, who I used to host this with, and we spoke so much about open relationships and stuff. He said, all I ever want is honesty. Yes. All I will ever give you is honesty. That is I just think that's beautiful.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's so corny to say, but it's so much about communication and I feel like Mm. I feel like straight couples have a hard time being so general and problematic but I feel like I feel like there is a sort of (laughs) lack of there can be a lack of communication because I think there are there's a lot of shame attached to desires outside of the relationship and people perceive those desires to be because they're lacking something inside the relationship and they want to find Mm. you know and to me I feel profoundly fulfilled in my relationship like my partner is my person like i'm gonna i'm just fully obsessed with them i've been obsessed with him for years like and it's like me having these experiences outside of my relationship has nothing to do with that to be honest it feels like a completely separate thing and it's like Mm -hmm. we don't stop growing just because we're in a relationship we don't stop having these desires and these needs like and to think that we do is just sort of it's just like so one-dimensional and like not the, the real story. But I think I think insecurities can really take over the driver's seat. And I think I feel very fortunate because my boyfriend is very secure in himself and very secure in our relationship. And I think that is a key to being able to, to survive, you know, to be able to have these conversations. Yes.
2: And what kind of person is he? Is it you who's always the one questioning what it is and what you can be and how you're growing and he's like oh okay I'll go along with it or are you both those people who are looking to discover and always evolve
1: I think I'm I think I'm the one driving it because my 20s were so different I mean in terms of like I was celibate largely for Mm -hmm. for the entirety Mm of my 20s and I did not get to really have that experience of sowing the wild oats. You know, it's taken me a long time to be where I am today. It's taken me forever. Yes. It's taken me like I'm a late, I'm in, I'm a late bloomer in a lot of ways.
2: Do you think there is any progress in how the queer community views disabled bodies in now to when you're in your twenties?
1: No. <laughs> Mm. I
2: I worried you were going to say that. No.
1: No, 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 no. It feels very much in the same place. Very much in the same place. I mean, maybe special, you know, opened the hearts and minds of like four gays. I don't know, whatever, whatever. (laughs) But I was one of them. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think largely we're still kind of removed from the narrative. I mean, on a base level, gay bars are not even really accessible. So, we've we've been kind of shut out even of those queer spaces which is very implicit um or actually it's explicit which is like very much like it's not like again i I don't look at society as sort of like this malevolent figure that's like trying to keep disabled people out i just think that we have never things have never been made with our bodies considered and i think that's i think that's a larger just systemic problem of like living in an ableist society living in a Society That uh, is obsessed with productivity and capitalism and whatever, whatever. And so it runs so deep. And I think that's why I get so overwhelmed in terms of like thinking about progress and thinking about how we can get disabled people to be a part of the conversation more and more progress to be made. Uh, because the attitudes are so it's like carbon monoxide like like literally like we're breathing in poison that's killing us and not even knowing it like ableism is mm. so it's so pervasive and it's like mm. it's everywhere but like people are not even aware of it and i think it's also because like ableism often kind of takes this shape of like you know altruism or sweetness or or like you know like concern or whatever and it's not like um like a bigot or whatever it's not someone who's like going to you know hate crime us or something so it takes this kind of like it takes this sort of form of like a benevolent figure that's like are you okay like, da, 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 like this mm. sort of like attitude of like infantilization and kid gloves that i feel yeah. like is yeah. very frustrating so yeah so i think there's still just a long way to go baby Long way to go. It's
2: funny, it's funny isn't it? Because what world do we live in when I don't understand? Sometimes I just feel like... So we look at the 1980s, right? And we were like, everyone wore so much makeup and it was so hyper, big hair, big makeup, big this, big that. But then it sort of went all a bit stripped back in the 90s and I felt like it was body image was improving. And now we're in this a- a time of body positivity and the body positivity movement, whatever people think about that, it exists. And it's obviously got its problematic corners. But at the same time, I we've never lived in a time more obsessed with six packs, women with amazing bodies, all of that. And I can't really join the two i don't know why the two exist and don't seem to be commented on you know like why is that
1: well i think gay culture in particular will always i mean we were like lolling about body dysmorphia but it's true like gay men and their bodies has always been sort of a torturous relationship the desire and the the somewhat like the the need for perfectionism whatever whatever that's defined by which could be like yeah having a six-pack or whatever whatever Mm. you know it's interesting like I've realized being around enough actors, you know people who have been commo- have commodified their looks in their body for a very long time i I really actually had a lot of empathy for for them and in a weird way they live in their own prison absolutely because being- mm-hmm. di- being disabled in in my body it's like I feel like, you know, I was castrated at birth, like my dick went night, night, like net, blah, blah, blah. So in a weird, and as, as horrible as that was, in a weird way, it's proven kind of liberating because there were no expectations put on my body at all. I was invisible. Mm-hmm. So I had nowhere to go but up. I mean, I, I could really, I could really define my own relationship to my body and like without the pressures of anything because I was ignored. And again, that was Mm. fucked up, but in a weird way, Silver Linings Playbook, like, it ended up being sort of great for me to establish my own relationship. Whereas, you know, like a muscle Instagram gay, the standards of beauty and the pressure, and these are all, like, little sub-genres within the community. You know what I mean? Like, it's like everyone lives in their own echo chamber of hell. So, like what's you know what I mean seriously so like what what's what's beauty for you know an insta gay circuit queen is going to be much different than for like maybe a bear you know what I mean but like everyone does have a sort of complicated relationship to their body and I don't know how that's going to go away especially within the queer community I think it's really Mm. really really hard it's very, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's why I'm like so stunned. I've been able to get into such a good place with my body because it's like, uh, I feel like this shouldn't be happening. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it is. You know what? I've seen your grid on Instagram and it's looking pretty good from where I'm standing.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, Chris, I need to add you to close friends because you'll get a lot more there. <laughs> <gasps> is, that, is there a paywall involved? No paywall, baby. Just click on that green Free button. Free content. That green content, baby. <laughs> it's coming.
2: <laughs> Every day's a school day with Ryan. I love him. Thank you for coming on, Ryan. And when I went to America, uh, I had dinner with Ryan and um, we hung out and it was lovely because we met IRL because we'd only ever met on this here podcast and... He took me to his favourite restaurant and he is just a delight, as you can imagine. From listening to that, thanks so much for listening. It has been heaven to hang out with you all. Those who are in the gym, I hope you're still going. It's quite the sesh you've got going on. Remember to stretch, that's all I'll say. On Monday, everybody, we have got a Culture Club bonus episode because do you remember Travis Alabanza who came on the podcast before? They are coming on to talk about their new book, None of the Above, which is basically part memoir, part thesis on the trans non-binary experience. And I love Travis. They are a font of knowledge and a font of good fun. If you remember when Travis came on before, they were talking about um, getting off with boys in bands uh, over lockdown. Well, all I'm going to say is there are developments on that front. If you listen to the episode, which comes out on Monday, which you will, you you should, you'll love it. And then on Thursday, I am joined by none other—the mastermind behind Mighty Hoopla Festival, the mastermind behind sink the pink night. It's Glyn Fussell. He's sort of the Andy Warhol of club nights, I would say. He knows everybody, best friends with Sam Smith, best friends with Mel C, best friends with everybody, and just brings people together for good fun and shame-free fun in a way. Like, you know, be yourself is Glyn's uh, mantra, and it's just wonderful. I mean, I don't think he's ever said that that's his mantra, but that's what I feel. Anyway, I love Glyn. You love sink the pink because I know lots of you go. You love my Da because I know lots of you go. He's joining me for the whole episode. We have a right old gas. We're going to have a right laugh, because that's all he is. It's great, good, fun. Oh, here we go. So Jessie's got back with her answer. Did Jessie turn out to be lactose intolerant? Let's find out. After she drank milk in the interview the other day. Hello,
0: Chris. Well, the results are in. I believe I have... A mild to moderate lactose intolerance, so my dreams of cream on ice cream are quite soured now. So yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, because cream on ice cream. So first things first, the Homo Sapiens community sends their condolences to Jesse for being lactose intolerant. Any tips for Jesse? Please send them in. What does she do? Hello at sapienspodcast.com. Secondly, yes, her mother used to put cream on ice cream. That was their thing they used to have when they were kids as a treat. I remember this. Have you ever tried it, listeners? Cream on ice cream? What's your go-to food that soothes your soul? Mine always changes. But actually, I would, I would say that a giant chocolate chip cookie would always hit the spot. But if I had to say something right now, I'm really obsessed with this Thai green curry from Cook company cook who make frozen food Uh, i just love it anyway um thank you for that jesse uh get in touch stay connected at homo sapiens on instagram at homo sapiens podcast on facebook and email your agony uncles your questions your anythings to hello at homo sapiens podcast.com i adore you all thank you for being wonderful it has been an absolute delight to talk to you stay safe loads of love